0: Ready, set, hunt. and uh, joining the show this week is senior journalist and team historian of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Rob Vanstone. Thank you so much for coming on the show to uh, talk Rough
1: Rider history. Oh, pleasure! It's uh, one of my favorite topics, if not if not my favorite topic. So it's uh, well, actually, my <laughs> that and my dog. So uh, <laughs> well, might, tell us she might about craft your dog session before too long. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, what's her name? Candy. She's, right. uh, she's
1: a three-year-old rescue, and I absolutely adore her. So,
0: I love that. I love that. Um, now, it's 10 years since the 2013 Grey Cup, so I, I thought it would be great to sort of do a, a chat about 2013 and everything that went into that special year. But something happened. At the beginning of October, in the world of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Canada, Regina, Canadian football, uh, we ended up losing a legend, George Reed. And uh, that 2013 Grey Cup, I guess, was hosted at the house George built or Ronnie built or whichever way you want to put it. Can can you, I guess, personally, do you have any member memories of... I don't want to age you, but number 34 on the field. Are your first memories of George?
1: Uh, my first memories are of being in elementary school, kindergarten, grade one at Massey School in Regina, late 60s, early 70s. And uh, everybody was big on trading football cards back then. And it was, a, it was like a gold bar to get a George or a Ronnie card. That was a status symbol on the playgrounds of Massey School. And uh I ended up with like neither for the longest time. I remember bribing classmates with uh chocolate bars. like you know, I remember saying, I'll go I'll go to Larry's confectionery at lunchtime and I'll buy you like three bar sixes if I can have your Ronnie, if I can have your George. No. So I ended up going to Larry's and just kept buying football cards and buying football and it just it was unbelievable. Like I, I think I would have had a better better luck today getting a getting a you know $28 million lottery ticket yeah. <laughs> than I would have been getting a Ronnie or a George back then. And, and uh, so I, then I finally got them and I put them on my little bulletin board at home and put punched holes in each corner to ensure that they have no lasting value, but there's a sentimental value there. So that was, I mean, that was the introduction to it right off the bat. It was just a, I mean, this is big. This, you got a Ronnie, you got a George. And first, I mean, I'd seen him play before this, but August of, of, uh, 1972. I was eight years old, and I was a really bad goaltender. So I went to the Hickey Brothers Hockey School in uh, in Regina at the Kinsman Arena, and I was such a great goaltender that they had me practice with the forwards. And uh, <laughs> but I remember, I remember I remember walking into the lobby uh, of the Kinsman Arena with my goaltending equipment, which I assure you was unmarked by by pucks. And uh, and George Reed was sitting in the in the in the office at the arena. And it was just like, oh my goodness! As many times as I'd seen him on the field, and as many times I'd as I'd walked by his kids in in the halls of Massey School, there was George Reed, and I just froze. And uh, I remember my mom just kind of politely, or even impolitely, nudging me, you know, go into the uh, go into the office, go say hi to him. And he was just—I just remember being about five feet away, and he saw me approaching, and just, hey, buddy! And I just felt like a million dollars, and. uh that was my first one on one encounter with George. And I don't like being old, but I like the fact that I'm old enough to remember having seen Ronnie and George play. I there's a lot of days I wish I was a little older so I could say I saw Hugh Campbell. But uh um it was just Ronnie and George, George and Ronnie. That was that was my childhood growing up. And uh and uh I feel like I've been reliving parts of it this past week or so because all that stuff just keeps coming back
0: you know I was uh, 13 months old when uh, the 89 great cup happened so when I hear tales of Ronnie and George they're almost like comic book superheroes to me but it was almost like they were comic book superheroes for uh, kids and Ryder fans and football fans that got to watch them play in the flesh as well. And it's an era of Canadian football. Recently, we lost uh, Angelo Mosca and now somebody like George Reed. These are names that uh, are going to live in Canadian football history for forever. Um, can you talk about the, the man
1: he was off the field as well? Well, that's the thing. I mean, as impressive as he was on the field and, you know, 16,116 yards and uh, 134 rushing touchdowns, 137 in total, uh, 11 1,000-yard seasons in 13 years in the Canadian Football League, et cetera. I mean, the resume, I could pretty much read his playing resume and exhaust the time that remains on the podcast, but – uh so many of the honors that came his way really didn't have anything to do with football. He was able to use football as a platform to, I think, uh, you know, bolster his community work, but it was the community work that, uh, I mean, there, he, he spent more years doing community work than he did playing football. Yeah. You know, he spent 13 years playing football and he did community work pretty much from the time he got to Regina in 1963, um, this is someone who at one time was involved with 47 different charitable or community groups at one time. You know, I referenced Massey school earlier. He was the president of the Massey school home and school association. Things as, you know, a low profile as that all the way up to helping to bring special Olympics in Saskatchewan. It, it just, it just ran the gamut. Um, he just, he was absolutely inexhaustible and, received the Order of Canada in 1978, and that was largely on the strength of what he did in the community as a citizen. Uh, just just a remarkable man with a unbelievable capacity to help people. And, uh, you know, he wore number 34, and I, I, I'm pretty sure there were 34 hours in his day. I don't know how else he managed to do it. It was just remarkable. And he was that way well into his, his 70s, early 80s. Um, I remember... Uh, one year, I, I used to do a uh, sports memorabilia sale when I was back at the when I was working at the Regina Leader Post, and we would sell sports memorabilia that we asked readers to donate, and and uh, it was for charity. And uh, I remember once I I called George Reed not long after he moved back to Regina early in 2009, and asked him to come out and sign autographs. And uh, I said, uh, would you would you be willing to come out and sign autographs for an hour? And he goes, no. <laughs> And there's kind of silence (laughs) on the end of the line. And I'm wondering, okay, like, how do I, you know, (laughs) gracefully say goodbye? And then I hear that deep belly laugh and he goes, (laughs) no, I'll do two hours. And and then he ended up sticking around for two and a half. And as soon as he walked into the room without drawing any attention to himself, simply by walking into the room, everybody stood up and applauded, gave him a standing ovation. I'm not sure I'll ever encounter anybody, in this community or perhaps anywhere that I'm in proximity to that can elicit a Stanley setting ovation simply by walking into a room as unobtrusively as possible. He didn't court the attention, wasn't particularly comfortable with it, but uh, nonetheless, that's, that was the response everywhere he went. And I think they were, it's, uh, it's amazing what he did on the field, but off the field, that just, on top of what he did on the field, well, I don't think we'll ever see his like again. Yeah,
0: that's so wild that you mentioned that last November at the Grey Cup in Regina. I got to sit, shake George's hand, and it was at the oh, Legends L- Legends legend, Luncheon at the Grey Cup. And I mean, former Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper is there. There's a lot of people that have done really cool things for Canada and football in general. And when George gets pointed out, it's, it's a, you can't describe it. It's like everybody is just moved to give the man a standing ovation. My dad got to meet, my dad got to watch him play. My dad got to meet him. It's kind of the kind of guy my dad is when, uh, when everybody got in line for autographs and got the picture of George Reed he said well sign that out to my son Travis oh. about, and uh, and he met Gordy Howe and he did the same thing as well to Gordy Howe i never got to watch these guys play but i do have autographs written out to me uh, because of my dad so the, the, that's those wonderful special things uh to me and i i've relived highlights of uh george playing and recently over the past couple of weeks and it strikes me just how much the game has changed and uh th- the amount of obviously running well he was a fullback but yeah. technically on on the, the depth fullback's chart. basically
1: a blocker now and every now and then they'll, yeah. they'll run a flare pattern yeah. he's got to flare out of the backfield the fullback very rarely catches the ball if he is indeed on the field and that's just football in general
0: yeah and it was also, I, I mean, he scores that touchdown in the 1966 six Grey Cup. And there was and now if that happens, you can imagine the celebration, the dancing, all of that. But back then, nope. <laughs> Grass No, he stains. was never won yeah. for that.
1: And watch the Hugh Campbell touchdown from that game. On the first play of the fourth quarter, Ronnie hits George. Oh, pardon me, Ronnie hits Huey for a five-yard touchdown. And players are running toward Huey to shake his hand. He's. I think he ran faster trying to get off the field than he did getting open in the end zone. He just wanted no acknowledgement on the field. He didn't want to rub it in at all. He's like his head's down, and he is just making a beeline for the sideline because he just wants nothing to do with the celebration. Even a handshake was extended reluctantly. That was the mindset back then, and and George was certainly that way. Uh, I mean, he had enough practice scoring touchdowns. I don't think he needed to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, some of the things true. they do these days, you know. I mean, now they're celebrating first downs. Um, honestly, yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now I, uh, it's 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 funny, and maybe it's because it's a Saskatchewan Rough Rider thing with four Grey Cups and over one century. But the the Ronnie and George days, they had triumph in nineteen sixty six. But I also had heartbreak, and that is synonymous with uh, Saskatchewan Rough Rider history. And it's almost looked at as the heyday of the team, the glory days of the team. But there's only one championship to uh, speak for. Who was the big nemesis in in that era that prevented them from oh, having Holy Calgary? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
1: Calgary stood in the way. (laughs) Yeah, they have. You know, 1968, uh, um, 1970, the Riders were 14 and two that year, and they played Calgary in a best of three West final. And the third game was probably the coldest game in the history of uh, perhaps football anywhere. (laughs) uh, They didn't (laughs) even play the national anthem. It's on YouTube, and, and you get frostbite just by watching it on YouTube. And uh, and uh, a 14-2 and two team, but Ronnie had been injured in Game 2 and only played a couple of plays in Game 3. Gary Lane ended up starting for a quarterback for the Rough Riders in that game. And, you know, that's one of the great unknowables. What if Ronnie had been able to play in the, in the 1970 West Final? I mean, he was the most outstanding player in the league that year. 1971, the Riders played Calgary in, in the playoffs. Those George Reed, Wayne Harris, epic battles, and... Sometimes whoever came out of that really didn't have much left when it came time to go to the Grey Cup because back then Mm. the East played 14 regular season games, whereas the West played 16. And then sometimes you'd play five Western playoff games to even get to the Grey Cup. It was a smaller playoff schedule in the the East too. So sometimes those those West teams were really in a disadvantageous uh, situation going down East to play in the Grey Cup. The Riders were banged up in 1967. They got to the Grey Cup, and they played Hamilton and, and, and lost. 1968, a uh, very good Calgary team lost to Ottawa. Uh, 1969, uh, the Rough Riders had some injuries, went went and lost 29-11 to Ottawa in the Grey Cup. We've referenced 1970. Uh, it was really weighted, in, I think, in favour of the East, the way the format was at that time. And there were some years when the Riders did encounter a lot of injuries uh, before they could even get to the Grey Cup, and uh, you know, 1970, uh, I mean, a uh, Montreal team, I think there was seven, six, and one, beat a nine and seven Calgary team in the Grey Cup, and the fourteen and two Rough Riders weren't able to get there. And again, a lot of that is uh, Ronnie being hurt.
0: Yeah. Now I, I feel like some of that heartbreak and all of it kind of does add up to what happened in 2013. It was the the last Grey Cup to be hosted at Taylor Field. And the writers, it was their third Grey Cup appearance since 2009. And I do feel like all of this just adds into what a moment 2013 was. Um, Obviously, there was a lot of pressure on the team to go in hosting the game was there a moment that you can remember where brendan tommen the uh, general manager at the time you, you you said well these guys are going all in with the moves that they are making heading into the 2013 season
1: i mean they started in 2012 i mean free agency was huge for them that year because they uh on the first fir- day of free agency, it was a bit of a controversial decision because Andy Fantuz signed with Hamilton. and uh, But they needed to free up some money so that they could sign Brendan Labatt and Dominic Picard, which they did on day one. So suddenly you've got your foundational center and you've got an uh, uh, offensive guard who in the 2013 season would be named the league's outstanding offensive lineman. Uh, that same year, they, they obtained Xavier Fulton, their left offensive tackle from Edmonton for a low-round draft pick. And they selected Ben Heenan first overall in the CFL draft. So suddenly there was only one holdover among the starting offensive linemen from 2011, and that was Chris Best. Wow. So uh, a lot of that building took place in 2012. That's when Corey Sheets arrived. That's when Taj Smith arrived, and, and Taj caught 78 passes for the Great Cup champions in, in 2013. So um, a lot of that work was done in 2012. And then 2013, you know, Dwight Anderson is signed and Ricky Foley uh, comes on board, and uh, John Chick is signed shortly before training camp. Uh, but uh, that was a that was two years in the making, and uh, so many of the huge foundational pe- pieces were uh, were uh, came came entered the equation in 2012. It's a little tougher to do now with the one-year contracts. The one-year contracts came yeah. into effect nearly a decade ago, whereas that was something the riders had had to their advantage in twenty 2012 is that there there wasn't a one year contract you could it pretty much have to be one in an option so that today it's a little tougher to to build for next year because uh i don't know what percentage of the contracts are one year contracts now but it's a pretty high percentage and uh and that came up i think in the that was introduced in the cba of night of two thousand and fourteen. But uh, that job Brendan Tamman did in 2012 leading into 2013 was absolutely masterful.
0: Now, the pesky Calgary, uh, they're back in 2013. In this whole era of uh, Stampeders and Rough Rider football, the, the height of their rivalry was happening a, a decade ago. And the, the Riders started the season Five and zero, and those uh, pesky Rough Riders. After the Riders <laughs> by in week six, or the Stampeders ended up beating the uh, the Riders. But then it's not like a championship team that didn't have adversity. That four game losing streak in the middle of September twenty thirteen. I think there were probably a lot of nervous fans in Saskatchewan and supporters of the Rough Riders at that time.
1: Yeah, I remember my inbox. There were a lot of <laughs> n- nervous fans. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, that, that losing streak coincides precisely with the uh, absence of Corey Sheets with a knee injury. And uh, Corey Sheets returned for an October 14th game against the BC Lions. Riders went into Vancouver and won 31-17 and, and lost only one game of consequence the remainder of the year. they that, that being a loss in Calgary. I think it was the penultimate game of the season. But even then, I think the Riders were confident that they, if they had another crack at Calgary that uh, they would win. And as it turned out, the toughest challenge the Riders faced in the playoffs that year was the first playoff game at home against BC. You know, BC was leading by nine points after three quarters and then Darian Durant pretty much took the game into his hands, using his feet. And after that, it was 35-13 over Calgary and 45-23 over Hamilton. But that uh, that hurdle getting past the BC Lions was tough. But once Corey Sheets came back, that changed a lot of things. And, uh, uh, you know, George Cortez, the offensive coordinator that year, was absolutely a genius with what he could do. And I mean, you, that team had so much depth of receiver that G. Roy Simon was number five. Like, wow. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Gressler, laugh Bag, um, you know, Taj Smith, G. Roy Simon. Uh, it's, <laughs> G. Roy Simon was number five on 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 that uh, in that hierarchy. No, uh, but then he was a number one target in the first half of the Great Cup in 2013. Yeah. But, you know, you, they had to, the opposing teams had to pay so much attention to stopping Corey Sheets and stopping the run that it created so many play action opportunities and uh, pretty much one on one opportunities downfield with, with the passing game. And so, and who do you double double team when you've got three 1,000 yard receivers on that team? Rob Bag, who was very good, and G Roy Simon, who was G Roy Simon. Like, what <laughs> are you going to do if you're a defensive coordinator except, uh, Maybe resign. I
0: guess we got to talk about uh, Corey Sheets here. He only had two seasons in green and white, and I still see Sheets jerseys uh, at Mosaic Stadium. He had almost 2,900 yards through 31 games. That's all he played in the regular season for the Rough Riders. It's remarkable to think about the impact he's had just by playing two years in Regina. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, he left after the 2013 season to sign with Oakland and had pretty much made the Oakland Raiders and then was injured in their, I think, their preseason finale and uh, never, never played football again. So, I mean, his last game of professional football that counted was a 197 yard rushing game in the Grey Cup in Toronto against uh, Hamilton. Um, nice way to go out. That was a Grey Cup record. A rushing yardage that uh, that endures, and uh, I've never, you know, it's interesting to see what. We'll always wonder what would have happened if Corey hadn't been injured that year, because he got one thousand five hundred ninety-eight yards rushing, and he and he uh, sat out the regular season finale just to rest, and then he missed uh, missed some other games with a knee injury, and he was going to take a run at two thousand yards if uh, if he hadn't gotten hurt, and even if you add his postseason. Totals. he had 1598 yards he had 68 against bc in the west semifinal, 177 in calgary in the west final and then 197 in the gray cup he was i think it was a, i think it worked out to 2040 yards rushing over the course of uh 18 games for which he dressed and uh just an amazing year 6.8 I
0: mean, yards a carry in the playoffs alone oh.
1: And the th- the play that pretty much put the Grey Cup away. They were second and nineteen, and they handed off to Corey Sheets. And I remember he-, he told me not long ago when I was talking to him, the call came in from the sidelines. They're expecting some kind of ingenuity with the passing game, and the call was draw play. And they're all going, "What?" <laughs> and then on second and nineteen, uh, Corey Sheets ran for twenty-one yards, a block from Taj Smith right at the end turned that from a seventeen-yard run into a twenty-one-yard run, and. That allowed them to exhaust more time. It cal- that possession culminated in a Chris Milo field goal. And that was kind of the breathing room the riders needed. Hamilton had close to within 31 to 15. And uh, 31 to 16, pardon me. And that was getting a little worrisome. And uh, the riders were up 31-6 at halftime. And then suddenly Hamilton's got more than a quarter left and the score is uncomfortably close. And uh, that Corey Sheets run on uh, on second and... 19, uh, unbelievable. That just, that was such a massive, massive play in that game. You know, it's it's not the most improbable run I've ever seen. I'm a Denver Bronco fan, and one year the Broncos are playing Minnesota, and it was 3rd and 37, and Minnesota handed off to Leroy Horde <laughs> and he went for 53. On 3rd and 37, they got, they got a first down and a handoff, but <laughs> we're talking great cup. 2nd yeah. and 19, yeah. and Corey Sheets does what Corey Sheets does.
0: Now, uh, the, the 2013 playoffs, that West semi-final in Regina, I remember it well. I was living in Saskatoon. I remember uh, I had these hand warmers that I also tried to put in my shoes, and they were the <laughs> the Celebration and Rider Nation Great Cup merch, and they had this little metal piece that uh, would would you would crack, and then the thing would harden and give you heat. Well, <laughs> It broke and the thing didn't heat and it didn't harden. So I had one good foot and one frozen foot. Th- that <laughs> That's why think... they
1: call it football and not heatball. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe I could feel my foot by about and on the way back to Saskatoon <laughs> that night. But I remember what blew me away was uh, Darian Durant, obviously, and the guys not wearing. uh, uh, sleeves uh, in the game. It, it, it was probably the coldest game I'd ever personally been to. Um, but Durant took over in the third quarter or the the, the fourth quarter, a, a man on a mission. Uh, and you knew he wanted that. And uh, he took over. Oh, he, he was better when he was cold, I thought.
1: Yeah, you know, Darian, you know, sometimes the best games he had weren't the ones where the stats were right unconscious i mean darian was a great situational quarterback and 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 he was one of those athletes who can it's an overused cliche but he can will his team to victory and you know football has been been described as the ultimate team sport and and i i would tend to subscribe to that argument i mean 11 of the 12 guys on a play can execute their assignments perfectly but if one of the 12 blows an assignment the play might a disaster. I mean, there's so much that has to happen and so much precludes one person being able to dominate compared to, say, the National Basketball Association or something. But to the extent that one person can take over a football game when there's 24 people on the field at a time, I think Darian Durant did that in that West semifinal that year. Uh, just a, a formidable performance, a gutsy performance, one of those ones that I think is one of the most iconic individual performances in rider history and uh it was a playoff game in 1967 george reed rushed for 204 yards on 37 carries It was the first time anybody had rushed for 200 yards in a in a playoff game and uh and and george was you know banged up and hurt but he pretty much controlled that entire game the whole playbook was given to george uh the whole playbook in the fourth quarter against bc wasn't Darian runs the ball, but those were the plays that that tipped it. You know, BC had really done a good job against Corey Sheets. He only rushed for 68 yards that game. And uh, they were kind of bottled up, and the Riders were having trouble containing Travis Lule that day. Mm-hmm. And uh, but fourth quarter, Darian took over. Uh, he th- also threw a touchdown pass to Weston Dressler, a play that's kind of forgotten because people remember the Darian runs, but he also made things happen with his arm. You know, Chris, Chris Milo k- kicked a clutch, 45-yard field goal, and Picking that ball was like kicking a brick that day. And, <laughs> and, uh, and the defense didn't allow anything in the fourth quarter after, after Milo was, or pardon me, after Travis Lule was really keeping the Rough Riders off balance. So a lot of things had to happen in that fourth quarter. But that, some, after the game, it's one of those things I admired it and I wanted to cry because I wish I'd thought of it. But somebody tweeted, legendarian. And mm. I thought, oh man, that's good. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I'm the one who's supposed to have some facility with the English language, but uh, that just said it all. That one-word tweet, legendarian, and uh, that's what that became. And that was, just, that was the toughest challenge they, they faced. I mean, it was 22-6 to six at halftime in Calgary the next week, and it would have been worse except the, for the Stampeders, except the riders had fumbled on the one-yard line late in the half. It should have been 29-6. to six.
0: And that wasn't, was it another cold one? I remember, uh, and that game, you knew, I, I felt like I knew, and everybody knew, if the Riders won the West Final, it, it was going to be almost impossible to defeat them at home in the 101st Grey Cup. and. The Riders went to McMahon Stadium and lost in the 2012 West semifinal, another playoff game I remember driving from Lloyd Minster to in terrible roads. And uh, I think it was Drew Tate hitting Romby Bryant for like an 80-yard touchdown late in the game that put the Stampeders ahead. So the yeah. 2013 West final, it. It felt like it was almost a rematch of sorts uh, from a year ago.
1: And that game really, you know, resonated with a lot of the Rider players. And I think it was a real transformative, not necessarily a transformative game, but a game that uh, put a lot of the criticism about Darian Durant to rest. And uh, he threw four touchdown passes in that game, threw for 435 yards, or through the late touchdown pass to Greg Carr with I think twenty fifty two seconds remaining in the fourth quarter, and then came the long pass to to Romby Bryant down the down the right sideline, and you know Chris Best was was telling me that uh, that uh, you know he was that 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 one really did not sit well with him, and mm. that you know they were just kind of a lot of the players would would I think they started their their workout regimens a lot more quickly. That off season than they normally would because they just wanted to make amends for that and uh, and because that one really stung and uh, if you look at it through history, the Rough Riders have generally had that kind of game the year before they won a great Cup. In in 1965, they lost 15 to nine to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the West semifinal, and uh, shades of the 2023 West or pardon me 2019 West final uh, when Cody Fajardo hit the uh, crossbar. Ron Lancaster had Jim Warden open in the end zone at Winnipeg Stadium, and the ball hit the upright late wow. in the game. Riders lost 15 to 9. 1989, Riders won a great cup. Well, the year before, the Riders had made the playoffs for the first time in 11 years. And then BC came in here. Tony Cherry ran wild. And that one, I think, showed the Riders what level you have to be at. And a lot of those players from the 88 team carried over into 89. They remember that heartbreaker in 88. In 2006, the Riders got to the West Final in Vancouver. And, and that one really did not sit well with the players. And I know Gary Joseph told me many times, like the players were saying, this is not going to happen to us again. And then, and then you look 2012 going into 2013. So there's, there's been that kind of knocking on the door and that unfinished business each year preceding a Rough Rider Grey Cup victory.
0: Now I felt like uh, Darian was feeling the pressure. Uh, did, did 2013 almost feel like a last chance for him in that respect? I, you know,
1: I, I think, you know, he'd faced so much criticism and he'd been, he'd been, he'd knocked on the door a couple of times and, uh, the fans were starting to get, uh, not all of them. I wouldn't even suggest a majority of them, but enough of the ones who were vocal on social media were creating a bit of a ruckus. And uh, I don't think that that would have been the end of Darian Durant quarterbacking in Saskatchewan had the Rough Fighters not won in 2013 because, I I mean, he he threw, he threw 31 touchdown passes that year. He still had a very good year.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but um, I think there were times when he just wondered if it was in the cards for him because he'd had so much tough luck. And uh, um, it was really of many nice stories in 2013 that to me is the one that really stands out because i just felt so good for him that day because uh just he he had been i think he'd been criticized so much and it, it just it was it was too much sometimes and uh, not too much for him to endure i just thought the criticism was excessive and uh and but I've always thought too that the maybe two percent of the people were making ninety nine percent of the noise.
0: Mm. And
1: uh and you know, seeing how Darian evolved and, and how he handled things that year. I mean, the night before the the uh West before the Great Cup, he shows up on stage at yeah. riderbill dot com and thanks the fans for coming. You know, and then so I mean that was a real uh meaningful, I think symbolic thing to do. And then after the Riders won the game, he got changed and walked out onto the Green Mile and just mingled with the fans, just wanted to revel in it. And, uh, um, you know, I was, I was just so happy for him that night because it just, it, I just knew what he had, he, had, uh, he had gone through. I think he hugged G. Simon at the, uh, what was it? Called? I think it was Kahari Jones at the end of the game and said something to the effect of, You have no idea what I've gone through. I wish I had the precise phrasing at my disposal, but that... I think the mics it. catch it up. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and that was... You know, D- D- Darian was so emotional, and 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 uh, I think the danger leading up to that great Cup was trying to ensure that the emotions didn't get the better of him and that you don't almost overdo it. And, uh, you know, he just continued to play in that game as he had during the playoffs that year. Eight touchdown passes, no interceptions, and, and that doesn't even account for The the damage you did along the ground against BC in the first game,
0: I felt uh, when he lifted the Grey Cup in the air that all of it just melted away for that that one moment. And do you feel like I remember walking down the ramps, the west side at Taylor Field, thinking two thousand nine doesn't really bother me anymore. Yeah, Uh, no. Did it add to the?
1: triumph that night if you look at it i i don't think you can completely appreciate 2013 unless you've been through twenty two thousand nine. 2009 and uh i'm not saying that the 2009 was i hate to paint it and i'm not trying to paint it as something that was beneficial but you in when you've seen the one end of the spectrum to a degree I think yeah. few pro- football franchises or professional sports franchises have ever experienced. And then to win it four years later and to do it on your home turf in the last chance you have to, to win it on your historic uh, field. Uh, talk about one extreme to the other. And uh, I can even go back to – uh, you know, I was at, I was at the '76 Great Cup in Toronto when Tony Gabriel caught that pass. I was at the '89 Great Cup in uh, Toronto when uh, Dave Ridgway kicked that field goal. And the first, my first notion when Dave Ridgway kicked the field goal was that suddenly the ghost of Tony Gabriel had kind of mm. left the premises. And I'd carried that with me for 13 years. It just, it, I was 12 years old and I cried sitting in the stands at Exhibition Stadium that day. And uh, you know it was just devastating to see that happen, and that's 13 years later that I just felt, okay, finally I can stop, you know, replaying the Tony Gabriel catch in my mind. And uh, but you look at a difference of four years, with with players who were you know from 76 to 89. The only player who was on both of those teams was Roger Aldag. Uh, you look at uh, you look at uh, 2009 to. 2013 there were some pretty foundational players on that 2009 team who remained in 2013 and uh the backstory to that 2013 game is you have to rewind four years i think fully appreciate what that meant to those players i think this this franchise it's fan base
0: i think we got to talk about great cup week um You know, I was a younger gray cupper at that time. (laughs) I've
1: never heard the term gray cupper before. (laughs) <laughs> well,
0: I've been to every one since 2009, so I think oh, I'll wow. probably call myself a great cupper now. That is
1: great cupping
0: at its finest. In 2013, just how cold it was. I remember the owner of the hotel thinking we were crazy, tossing around the football in the parking lot when it was <laughs> minus 30. And now I probably look back and say, yeah, that was pretty dumb. But... I will never forget Well, froze at the uh, Grey Cup parade the day before the game and then sticking my head out of the hotel door the day of the game, not keeping up with silly things like weather forecasts, thinking <laughs> what magic just descended upon Regina. I, to this yeah. day, I wasn't sure how I was – I. My plan was probably to stand in the West Concourse under the stands and just stay warm somehow. I really thought I was going to freeze. But the the weather that day, the change in 24 hours was amazing. Out of this world.
1: Yeah, that was just a – that was one of those days you wake up and you just brace (laughs) yourself for it. It's like, hey, this isn't so bad. And uh, (laughs) I think it was the first sign that – it was going to be a a good day. And uh, um, I mean, Tom Hanks showed up that day. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think, I don't think on the Friday or the Thursday of that week, anybody was expecting something other than minus 20 and nobody was expecting Tom Hanks. And uh, um, just everything just came together. So perfectly that day, except that I forgot my power cord. I left my power cord at the (laughs) office. So I had to have somebody drive over to, to mosaic, the old historic mosaic stadium, through all the traffic and throw a power cord over the fence so I could actually oh, wow. electrify my computer. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a stupid things that happen.
0: <laughs> well, and then, you know, you talk about things the way they went. I remember Henry Burris not being set for a, or the center snapping the ball far too early, and Hank looking absolutely dumbfounded what had happened and Darian Durant fumbling the ball into Corey Sheets's arms and yeah. you know, taking was at the 38-yard run he had it was it, it seemed like nothing was going to go wrong for the green, green and white that day even though there were some no, nervous moments when the Tycats pulled within two scores in the second half
1: yeah, it uh I mean things that had traditionally gone against the Rough Riders in Grey Cups didn't that day. I mean the Rough Riders had won their previous three three Grey Cups by a combined 22 points and then they won one game by a combined 20 by a total of yeah. 22 points. Wow. And the margin was actually greater before Hamilton, you know, CJ Gable got a touchdown late in the game, but the Western Dressler touchdown gave the Rough Riders a you know larger margin than that. And uh it just you know, throughout the rider's history, it's it's been one of bad breaks in, in 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 championship games and just ex- bad luck that you just cannot explain. But that day, it just was. I think people knew when the Corey Sheets fumble mm. happened. You know, everything was just so fortuitous that day, and uh, you know, I, you know, I just. Uh, But I remember thinking, you know, there's a danger in thinking that just because you beat Calgary in the West Final, and people were talking about that as sort of the de facto Grey Cup. And I I couldn't subscribe to that at the time because I remember in 76, the Riders beat Edmonton in the West Final, 23-13, after losing to Edmonton the previous three years in Edmonton in the West Final. So I remember thinking at the time, my 12-year-old self, Uh, okay, we've just won the Grey Cup. We got past Edmonton, playing Ottawa in the Grey Cup. And the Riders had gone into Ottawa and I think beat them 29-16 that summer. So I didn't really think Ottawa presented much of an obstacle. And uh, well, (laughs) we know how that one ended up. So I I kept thinking of that uh, the morning of November 24th, 2013. It's like, don't take this one for granted. Don't presume that just because this formidable Calgary team has been upended that uh, it's going to be a cakewalk in the Great Cup because 1976 and uh, uh, so when when the game was 31-6, to 6, I thought, okay, I've got a nice opportunity to get a head start on my column here. And I spent the entire halftime show writing my column thanks to my wonderful power cord. And then uh, kept on writing into the third quarter. I think this is a bonus. It's one of those kind of keeper additions of the leader post. And, and I know that, you know, this is one of those, you're documenting history here. So I thought, Hey, this is great. I got a head start on this too. I don't have to bang this out in, in a half hour after the game. And, uh, so then 31, six turns into 31, 16. And I just, it's like, I, I'm jinxed them and (laughs) I got my computer and I didn't dare open it. I kind of, I kind of gently opened it after the Corey sheets, 21 yard run. And I, re- I remember the 2009 Grey Cup when, when Darien scored a touchdown from 16 yards out with 10, 10.42 left in the game. And the convert put the Riders up 27-11. And I popped open the computer and started writing a Riders win Grey Cup column. And uh, and yeah. uh, so I I was haunted by that <laughs> yeah. in 2013 thinking if I'd done it again here. So I just – I shut the computer and just refused to even even – go near it for a while. It turns I, out I was able to use pretty much everything I'd written at halftime, but it was, there were some real nervous moments as impartial as, as you try to be at yeah. that time. You know, you want to, you know, you grow up following this team and you never imagine there's going to be a Grey cup game in Regina at all. And then yeah. you're covering your, your third of what are now four Grey cups in Regina and the riders are in it. That's just something you never bank on seeing. And, uh, and, uh, that was a that was a nervous few minutes <laughs> around supper time that day or around seven o'clock that night.
0: You know, uh, this is bringing back a lot of memories and feelings for me. In two thousand nine, when Riders beat the Stamps in the West final, I thought that was our great cup. I thought we had no chance of beating the Alouettes. So I remember going to McMahon Stadium thinking, "Ah, we'll just have fun. We'll we'll we're we're gonna lose." But I didn't think we would lose like that. So the roller coaster was just—I—I uh, uh, I am still dumbfounded to this day of what happened. But we'll talk about 2013 because I remember November 25th, 2013, thinking. I need to have a Regina leader post and I still have it in my storage room. And I wish I brought it for the, for the podcast, but domination in rider nation. When did that come about? Like, when did that headline happen?
1: I'm trying to remember. I, um, I remember I sent it in, um, uh, the uh a reader actually had suggested during the 20, 20 2007 great cup a reader had sent me an email a day or two before the game saying if the riders win why don't you go with win?" so i sent that one into the office and it went but uh, i guess uh, i i'll talk i'll claim some uh, <laughs> <laughs> some credit for domination of rider nation i think it was rhymed uh I don't. I. I. Somebody at the office could very well have concocted it at the same time. I just remember sending in that as a suggested headline. But uh, it. Uh, it's neat to be in that situation where you're, where you're documenting that. You know, I remember growing up, and I would read the leader posts of of from from '66, and I would see what what Lori mm. Ardis, who was then the leader post sports editor, wrote. And I always thought, you know, just uh, for the longest time, it was only Lori Artis who would cover the rough, rough Rider Grey Cup victory. And, uh, and I just thought that would have been so cool to do. And then, okay, 1989, Darrell Davis and Nick Meliokas had their names to the list. And uh, I went to that game just strictly as a fan. I was at Dash Tours the next morning, first thing after the West Final, first person in line to buy a Grey Cup wow. package. And I, I will always be indebted to Greg Drennan, our sports editor at the time for letting me sneak away to Toronto when it was kind of a crazy week in the sports department. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's the story in itself. And then 2007, it, it was, it was just, I was just so conscious of, um, I got the privilege of being able to cover a rough Rider Grey cup victory. Cause it's such a small fraternity, right. for, you know, of people who have, who have done that. And, uh, and then to have an opportunity to do it again with the, with the great cup here, uh, you know, Ian Hamilton was out, was covering the great cup that day. Murray McCormick was a rough rider, beat rider. You know, Daryl Davis in 2007, Daryl Davis and, and myself and Courtney Wagner were there in two two 2007 for the leader post. So it's, uh, I'm really proud to have say to say that I've seen the riders win a great cup and have documented it. Cause I know what that 1966 paper meant to me when I was a, 14 year old kid going to the Regina public library and always requesting the November, 1966 microfilm, which I'm sure I wore out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I remember my brother saying, you got to get me a paper. I'm running around Regina. It seemed like every gas station was sold out. And on the way back to Saskatoon, I stopped in Lumsden and, uh, I'm like I gotta try to find a leader post, and they had a stack of, me, stack of them in there. So I uh, I bought about five of them and <laughs> handed them out to my to my family that I still have uh, today. And I do want Darian to sign it one day. That, that, that's my goal
1: here. Um, uh, look, he, if, if you'd been at the game on on Saturday, I know, I, on, I know, he was signing for everybody. What a wonderful wonderful gesture that was by him.
0: Now, I I do want to ask you about that. I do want to ask you one more about that uh, 2013 Rough Rider team. There were several members of that team. Um, Now, Corey Chamberlain did coach again, but that was his greatest season. That was Brendan Tammen's greatest season. G-Roy Simon goes out a a winner. It, It seemed like they had him as a secret weapon, like you said, uh, he was, you know, n- not the biggest weapon during the season, but in the great cup, what an impact he had. There, there were several players where that was obviously the pinnacle of their career, winning the championship, but, but like Corey sheets, the last game that counted in his yeah. career was that Grey 28 cup.
1: years old. And that's, you know, yeah, wow. That's the fragility of professional football. And, uh, yeah. um, you know, it's a and that was a veteran laden team too, and and yeah. and and it was one that was able to stay healthy by and large. You know, Chris Best had been injured for the first half of the year, and and pretty much he came back. I think he came back for the final regular season game, and then into the playoffs. But he'd missed nine games. Ray Williams, who was having a great season the middle linebacker, uh, got hurt uh, in the in the game in Winnipeg in early September, and he was forced to miss the rest of the year. But by and large, that team was able to remain healthy, which is not always assured when you're, well, especially in, a, in the game of football in general, but when you got a lot of players who were in their late 20s, early 30s, and they they really had led kind of a charmed life that year in terms of the injury list. It was never that expansive, and uh, um, uh, yeah, that was that's one of the things you, there's always the element of luck. And, you know, we talked about the Corey sheets fumble recovery and how that easily could have gone the other way. It just, uh, sometimes you need, you can do all the planning and, you know, plot and scheme. And, but one look, look at 2014, the Rough Riders are eight and two and and Darian, uh, gets hurt. And we can, conceivably we could have been talking about a repeat Rough Rider Great Cup championship team. Um, if if Darian hadn't been hurt that year. I mean, you've got to remember too, it seemed like the only missing piece that year was Weston Dressler. He had been with the Kansas City Chiefs and had been released in August and he'd re-signed with the Riders. And it was Weston's second game back. And I think it was going to take a few weeks for Darian and Weston to get their chemistry going, but that was going to start cooking. And when that did, what could have stopped the Rough Riders? They were were 8-2 and without really having a formidable passing game. And suddenly you get Weston back. And, and their running game, even though there wasn't a Corey Sheets-type presence on that team, uh, it was kind of running back by committee that year. But in terms of rushing yards per game, it was actually pretty comparable to the 2013 Rough Riders. Uh, you know, some timely runs by Anthony Allen and, you know, mm-hmm. Will Ford had three touchdown runs one day, et cetera. They were, just, they were able to run the ball without having that bulwark running back. And uh, and that 20, 2014 team could have could have uh, could have repeated and uh, again it's one of those one of those great unknowns
0: eleven and a half million Canadians tuned in. To the 101st Grey Cup, uh, Tom Hanks, Martin Short. I mean, uh, Kent Austin is a part uh, of three Rough Rider Grey Cup wins. Uh, the opposing coach, <laughs> the head coach, the starting quarterback in uh, 1889. I do, I want to wrap and ask you, you about. Brett uh,
1: Lauther was on the Hamilton sideline. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. He was. He'd been drafted by the Tiger Cats that year and played a little bit, but he watched the game from the sideline. Uh, Luca Kanji was the Tiger Cats kicker that year. You know, Simone Lawrence played that game. He's still playing for Hamilton. So,
0: so. There, I guess there was some uh, rider connections in Hamilton as well with Fantuz and Burris. played
1: for and... <laughs> the Tiger Cats that day. Henry Burris. <laughs> wow,
0: wow. I, I want to ask you about last week. Other than the game between the Tight Cats and the Riders, there was the memorial service for... George Reed and there was the legends night with the 2013 team being uh, honored uh, and going into the plaza of honor. Uh what, was it special to see a lot of those guys back in Regina
1: that weekend? It was it was really really cool. You know, just uh, uh I always enjoyed co- I cover I enjoyed covering that team. Um I was just a I, I don't think you win a great cup without a just a good group in general. And that group always struck me as being just that it was great to spend some time with Darian Durant and chat with him and just to, to chat with a lot of the players leading up to it too. And, uh, um, that just, it just felt comfortable. It felt nice. You know, Darian hasn't changed a bit. He looks like he could still go out there and play. He does. Um, it just, uh, it, it was, it was so well done. And uh, there was the challenge, you know, after we lost George, leading up to that mm. week, is, you know, how do you, you know, you, you obviously everything changes because George has to be honored, you, and you want to make sure that every possible tribute is is paid to George in the best possible way, and I, I'm that was a amazingly well done, uh, you know, memorial, uh, yeah, but still, you don't want the 2013 team to be overlooked nor do you want wendy kelly the first yeah. female inductee into the class of honor to be overlooked and and so um you know the people i work with are just remarkable and just how they established that balance and how, the kind of planning they did and the thought and the care that went into it i i was just so proud to work with everybody from from craig reynolds just i could just name the whole staff i was just in i'm in awe of what all my friends and colleagues did. I saw what they were doing every day, and uh, it was unlike anything I've ever seen uh, in terms of a vocational team rallying around something. And uh, it, it was because we wanted to make sure that that uh, 2013 team and George Reed and Wendy Kelly all received their due. And uh, I, I, based upon the feedback we've we've you know we've received or that I've seen, I think that was that was accomplished.
0: I'll ask you one more. What did George mean to even the current generation of players or even the last few years of players? I saw Darian get asked about the the loss of George. It's uh, remarkable how his impact was felt throughout the organization up until, well, now, even now it is felt.
1: You know, if you walk into the stadium, you can't. You know, a new player is going to find out immediately who George Reed is because of the statues. Yes, of, yeah. You know, toward You know, honoring George and Ronnie. Uh, there's George's picture is all over, and you know, you mentioned Gordy Howe earlier, and I always thought that was a pretty, you know, really good parallel in that you'd see little kids or even young adults or even middle-aged people, and they were still too young to see Gordy Howe play. But they knew who he was, and in his in his presence, you just felt you felt like there was royalty in the room. And George had the same effect on people. It didn't matter if you were five or ninety five. I think you looked at George with uh, that reverence and that appreciation, and uh, you just knew what he'd done, and and the way he conducted himself, just with the utmost courtesy and dignity, and uh, it just. Uh, that's what really, I think he just transcended generations. You just, I mean, uh, I know a lot of people who are Montreal Canadiens fans. They never saw Rocket Richard play, but they know mm. what Rocket Richard means. And, uh, uh, you know, even, I think you can apply that to Jean Belleville. Uh, that's the type of, you know, we were looking at, in in the days after George passed, the family uh, left a bunch of the, uh, um, they were going through all their scrapbooks or whatever. And just to make sure that they were, they were taken care of. They were, they were uh, dropped off at the Rough Riders offices. And I, I locked them away. And so one day I was, well, for several days, well, actually every chance I got for several days, I was flipping through the scrapbooks and on one page, on one page of a scrapbook or a photo album, there were telegrams from, Jean Beliveau and John Diefenbaker on the same page wow. like amazing That's that tells you something about George would never name drop, George would never consider himself to be above anybody but how many people do you know that would get telegrams from John <laughs> Diefenbaker no kidding. and Jean Beliveau <laughs> wow That's, that just said it all
0: you know, uh, they say nothing good, and to pull back the curtain, nothing good happens after two in the morning. But here we are, uh, chatting.
1: My two favorite in the time morning. of day.
0: <laughs> I think this is when the best work happens. So, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for. Oh, this
1: uh, has been so much fun.
0: Yeah, this is this has been great. Uh, your work. Uh, I, I feel like you're living your dream job. You covered the the Rough Riders, the team you followed as a kid. And now, well, you're with the Rough Riders, the team historian and senior journalist. So thanks so much for sharing your memories and uh, really putting into perspective and putting a, a bow 10 years later on 2013 and talking about the great George Reed. So thank you, Rob.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Travis. It's great to chat with you. And uh, maybe we'll do this again when... The rest of the world is conscious as well. I... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> Thank you. This, it, this is such. A, I, I've I've uh, I've done a lot of podcasts and a lot of interviews over the years, and that, unless I'm talking to somebody on the other side of the 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 world, and it's like, okay, I think it's like 10 a.m. in England now. Maybe I can call them. <laughs> I, I've been in that situation, but I can't think of many people I've talked to in North America at this hour, and uh, so it's. Uh, uh, my dad was a musician and he was a creature of the night and mm. he liked to stay up late and he was an architect he liked to work on his drawings late at night and he liked to listen to jazz late at night and i liked to talk to the dog late at night so we got kind of the same habits and uh so i'm i'm glad there's a kindred spirit uh, out there <laughs> well thank you so much <laughs> what a pleasure thanks so much for chatting with me and uh hope to do it again
0: thanks for listening Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.